0: In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. And we pray that you'd speak to us tonight. God, even through me, God, as we open your word together, I pray that you would speak to all our hearts. Help us have soft hearts tonight, God, to hear what you're saying. Amen. Amen. So I'm Tim. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm on the staff team here. I help oversee this service. And um, we're starting a new series tonight, a new four-week sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. And for four weeks, I suppose, we're considering what are the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And that begins today as we look at the person of John the Baptist, but it's going to continue as we look at the baptism, the temptation, and the initial ministry of Jesus. And of course, one of the things we should note, we've just read a passage in isolation there, haven't we? We've just sort of picked it out. But if you look at what's surrounding this and what Matthew is all about, this is all about Jesus. Matthew's Gospel is all about the person of Jesus Christ. But here, for one chapter, he focuses on the ministry of John the Baptist. Who is he? Let's just read it again. Read with me from verse 1. In those days, says Matthew, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he makes a link to what has been said before, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Verse 3, he says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord makes straight paths for him. Who is John the Baptist? Well, he's a preacher. Obviously, he is preaching in the desert. He's a humble man because he's pointing to one. He's pointing to someone else. He's not saying, look at me. He's saying, there's one coming after me who's so powerful. He's got a pretty funky fashion sense. He's got camel clothing. He's got a leather belt. And he spends a lot of his time wet because he's in the Jordan River and he's baptizing people. And he seems to have a very powerful ministry. Did you note know that there are people coming from all over the place to hear him speak and to give their lives to God again in repentance and faith and to be baptized? But I think the best way to understand who John is is to look at what Matthew quotes from Isaiah. Just look again, verse 3. Matthew says that John the Baptist is a voice, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. John the Baptist is a prophet. He is someone who is speaking on behalf of God to the people. And he's significant because he's actually breaking a 400-year silence from when the people of God last heard the voice of God. But also, he's significant because he has been prophesied about himself. He is coming in accordance with what God has already said. The Jews knew that before the Messiah came, God would send a prophet to prepare the way. And um, as Matthew quotes Isaiah when he says this is he who was spoken of he's making a connection he's saying john the baptist is the is the prophet that we've been waiting for and if he's the prophet a voice of one calling the wilderness that means that jesus is the messiah i mean that's what matthew's been doing uh, at the start of his gospel he's been quoting the old testament extensively and it's all by way of showing that jesus really is the promised savior who the jewish people have been expecting to come Well, if John is a voice, though, if he is a prophet, what's his message? Well, John the Baptist stood on the outskirts of civilization and said, prepare the way. He said, God is coming. Make straight paths for him because he is coming through this place. Now, this might be a little lost on us, this imagery, in those days, when rulers, when kings and queens, when dignitaries were coming through, when they were passing through lands, they would literally go ahead and repair and prepare the roads that they were going to travel on. Of course, we take it for granted. We have good roads, don't we, in London, generally. Some of you are like, yeah, Tim, you should see the potholes on my street. The council still haven't fixed them, or whatever. But generally, we've got good roads. They don't need to be repaired. But in those days, they didn't. They were just mud tracks. But what they would do is they would attend to them. They would prepare the way of the coming king. Preparation needed to happen before royalty came through. And that's John's message. He's saying you need to prepare the way for God to come through. Preparation needs to happen. And he says it like this, verse two. He says, prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. And he phrases it like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? What does it mean to repent? Well, it's a radical call to an inward change towards God and then towards humanity. To repent, most simply put, is to say sorry to God for our sin. It means to confess to God that you're a sinner and you need salvation. You see verse 6, the people who came to John were confessing their sins. They were confessing to God, Lord, I need your grace. That's what repentance is. It's coming to God and saying, I can't save myself through good works. I'm so sorry, God. I throw myself on your mercy. I need what you did for me on the cross. Lord, I'm so sorry. I trust in you today. I wonder if you've heard the story about the young man called John who was given the gift of a parrot. And this parrot that John was given had a particularly bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude, but nothing worked, and he ended up shouting at the parrot, which actually made it worse, because the parrot shouted back and swore at him. In desperation, he took the parrot and shook it, but nothing happened. You know, the parrot just got even more annoyed, so he thought, right, I've got to do something here, so he shoved the parrot in the freezer, And for a minute, the parrot was squawking, making a huge racket, still swearing. And then suddenly, the parrot went quiet. And John thought, oh no, I've killed the parrot. Something's happened. So he tentatively opened the lid of the freezer. And the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate behavior and transgressions and I fully intend to do everything I can to forget to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, May I ask what the turkey did? And I bring that up to say... Saying sorry points out what the bird points out in the story. The bird points out, I'm going to do everything I can to correct my behavior. Even as I say repenting and say sorry is a moment of us saying, God, I'm really sorry, I repent, I confess. Our confession inwardly will come with outward actions. Repentance doesn't stay on its own. There'll be things that come from it. Receive repentance isn't just simply feeling bad about yourself or feeling sad about your sin. But it's actually to totally reorientate the direction of your life. We're headed one way, following our own way, following sin. And repentance is actually turning around and following God. It's a total reorientation of the focus of our life. And this is what John the Baptist was calling people to do. He's saying, prepare the way of the Lord, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And true repentance means not just in one part of your life, but with your whole heart turning from your sin, and then with your whole life beginning to follow God. And this inward turning, this inward confession, will be shown in our lives. John puts it like this. Read with me from verse 8. His rebuke to the Pharisees is to say this. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, live out a life that reflects what you have inwardly said to God. And this is so important for us to know as we think about this topic. We can't separate our thoughts from our deeds. You can't have the decision to repent without the fruit of repentance, the results of it being shown in our actions. And of course, this doesn't mean we get saved by good deeds, but that we are outwardly to live in accordance with the confession we inwardly make this is god's purpose for your life jesus said i have appointed you to bear fruit fruit that will last and the good fruit of god is us growing in godliness and it's growing in holiness it's growing in the fruits of the holy spirit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control it's growing to be more like god It's where actually there is like evidence for what we've said to God. God, I'm turning my whole life around. And the fruit of repentance is when you see that that has happened. And that was John's command to the people who saying, produce fruit. Is there any evidence in your life for repentance? We're to all grow to be more like Jesus, both inwardly and outwardly. It starts inwardly, but it is to be shown outwardly. And part of the way that We're called to do that as Christians, as we follow God, is through baptism. Um, In fact, I would say that baptism is the first way that God calls us to outwardly express what we have inwardly confessed to him. Now, of course, baptism is the action of being brought down into and then brought up out of water. Or in the case of young children and babies, actually often that's a sprinkling of water. Or in the case of the Orthodox Church, have you ever seen this? grabbing babies by the feet and dunking them in head first in the water and then they turn them around and they go in with the feet and then they go back again in the head i could show you a video but it's very traumatic all you see on the videos is just children crying i told someone this this morning and they said i remember being baptized like that at one and a half how traumatic was that goodness me but it's a thing we're commanded to do john was there baptising everyone who came to him. Did you notice that? Verse 11, he says, I baptise you with water for repentance. And that's exactly what he's doing. Verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. Why though? And why would Jesus command all of us, all of us who follow him, to be baptised? Well, I think a great explanation of this comes from the letter of 1 Peter, and this is just going to come up on the screen behind me. And when Peter's writing, part of what he does is he's he's talking to people of God, he says, he talks about baptism, and he says this, baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God. For a good conscience. And I bring this up to help us see that baptism doesn't clean us in the way that chucking a baby in the bath does and giving them a good scrub. It's not the act of it itself. Peter describes it as an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's us saying publicly to God, Save me, clean me, I need your forgiveness, give me a clean conscience through Christ. And of course, that mirrors exactly what we do in repentance. That's what we inwardly do. We inwardly appeal to God as we repent and say, God, save me. God, clean me. God, make me righteous. Make me holy. But God calls all who inwardly repent, who inwardly appeal to him, to outwardly appeal to him. All those who privately give their lives to him to publicly live their lives for him. And the first way God calls us to publicly declare our faith in him and to appeal to him is through baptism and it's a way of saying to god with our whole body i trust you to forgive me through the work of jesus christ and to use john's words it's part of the way that we produce fruit in keeping with repentance maybe it's the first way that we do it that's what john the baptist was calling people to and it's what god calls us to and I say this to us because God calls us, all of us, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To live lives that reflect the confession we have made to him. Not just private prayers, not just private religion, but public faith. And I want to speak to you, those of us today. If you've never been baptized, can I encourage you to do so? As soon as possible. On the third, You can do that here on the 31st of May. We're going to be having a service after the 6pm and you can be dunked. And you can make that public appeal to God. You don't have to worry about your salvation between now and then, but you just need to obey Jesus. If you've never done it, can I encourage you to be baptized? But for the rest of us, can we consider our lives? Let's think where are our lives, or where are they not, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? God has called for us to have a public faith, a public life, but for so often for us, actually, Our proclamation of Jesus is pretty quiet. This could be in so many ways. You know, the fruit of repentance isn't being shown in our life. That might be in our actions as actually we're stuck again in sin, repetitive sin. That might be in our character as we continue in our selfish ways. You know, God calls us to pursue holiness and righteousness. And this actually might be in the way that we're not producing fruit. We're not following the example of someone like John the Baptist. We're not all called to be him some of you are like, thank goodness Tim, I didn't want to wear camel hair, clothing. But we're called to proclaim Jesus Christ. We're called to represent Jesus Christ with our whole lives, but also with our lips. We are to speak about him. We are to share the hope that we have. That's part of what it means to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We say something to God, and then we share to the world around us who he is. Now the thing is, of course, in offering that kind of challenge to us, saying actually often our lives don't live up to what John the Baptist called people to, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The thing about bringing that up is I could pretty much say that implicates all of us here. How many of us can say that we perfectly follow God? No one. Only Jesus could say that he perfectly followed the will of the Lord. You know, I'm certainly speaking to myself here. This is a challenge to us, and it was a challenge that John brought to the most religious people of the day Read with me, verse seven. He speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and his rebuke of them is savage. He says this, you brood of vipers, charming, eh? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Why are you here? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And In other words, you too need to repent. You too need to throw yourself on the mercy of God and don't just think that because you're Jewish that you don't need to. Verse nine, he continues, read with me. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The Jews were God's people. They were God's covenant people. But John was saying, even God's covenant people need to confess their sin. Even you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God because the axe, the God's judgment is hanging over you like an axe at the root of a tree. He says, You too need to confess your sins. You too need to repent. And you too need to get, signal this all with baptism because God's wrath is hanging over you. That image of an axe that gets used and then of Jesus coming to baptize with fire, that's in verse 11. And then Jesus and the winnowing fork clearing the threshing floor, which you can see in verse 12. That's all about judgment. John is saying, God is coming soon in judgment. And he's saying all people are going to be judged, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he was particular at this moment, his ministry was especially to the Jewish people. and He was saying to the Jews, you too need to get right with God. And your religion, even Jewishness, is no guarantee of being saved. In fact, no religion can save us. No outward performance, no outward us trying to get right with God, none of that can ever save us. Even being born into the covenant family of God was no guarantee of being part of the true family of God. Instead, John was saying, being part of the family of God is dependent on a radically personal, individual repentance and faith that gets symbolized in baptism. Make straight paths for the Lord, he says. Prepare the way. Don't rely on anything external, but turn to God. But I think where this really hits home for us today, where the challenge of this really comes, is I think that that is a message that we need to hear again and again and again. Because isn't it so easy for us to fall back into the position of those religious people that John rebuked? Even though we are part of the family of God, even though we are part of the people of God, how often do we turn to anything other than repentance to get right with God? basically we turn to religion again we turn to self justification you know how often do we act and think like we'll only get god's love and forgiveness when we perform really well for him you know john called them out didn't he he said do not think you can say to yourself you have abraham as your father how how would god call this out for us do not think you can say to yourself that you've read your bible 3 times this week and you've prayed and you've been to church, and you've generally been a good boy or a good girl. But isn't that so often the way that we think? Even if we know that's not true, even if we know that we're justified through faith alone, by grace alone, even if we know that to be true, how often do we think, well, God will like me more if I behave. I was preparing to preach this week. This is exactly how I realized I was thinking. Well, I'm preaching this week, so I better be on my best behavior. As if that made any difference. How often do we fall back into patterns of self justification? How often do we fall back onto religion where God instead calls us simply to repentance? We might do it in so many ways. It might be with things we do, like good things, prayer, you know, Bible reading, whatever it might be. Or it might be things we don't do. Well, I haven't sinned in this particular way this week. Well, that means I've built up some God points. He must be happy with me. We think that we have done, or if we haven't done certain things, well, then therefore, that's how God will love us. That's how God will bless us. That's how God will answer our prayers. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of producing fruit that's in keeping with repentance means that we try with everything we have to live for God. In fact, we give our whole life to trying to follow him. And we give our whole self to him to be transformed by him but actually there's a way of thinking about that that just brings out shame and it brings out legalism because we forget again and again and again and again that we're saved by grace and not by our good deeds and we forget that the way that means god intends it for it to work is repentance comes first and then the fruit follows this is why it's called fruit because it's the result of something you know it's it's born from the good soil of repentance But how often do we think it's the other way around? Instead of repentance leading to good fruit, we think, well, I need to produce good things in my life. And when I do that, that's when God will like me. And when God, by his Holy Spirit, just brings this up in us, maybe even you're thinking about this tonight, you're thinking, yeah, actually, that's me. The answer to this is always repentance. It's never self-justification. It's never religion. God doesn't call us to religion, but graciously and generously, he calls us again to repent. And when we do, God does something amazing. God does something amazing. Did you notice? Let's pick up the Bible properly. Read with me, verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and with fire, saying I baptise you with water for repentance, but Jesus is coming, and he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit, and this is what God does when we repent, he baptises us in the Holy Spirit, he makes us totally new, he brings new life, he brings new birth, in fact, it is the Holy Spirit who brings forth the good fruit that God longs to bring through us. It's not even through our own actions anyway. It's as God renews us and transforms us by the Holy Spirit. And that's amazing. That's what happens when we repent. It invites the power of God into our lives. As we say, God, I'm not depending on myself to get right with you. I'm simply depending on your mercy. But this is such an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? Maybe as we approach God, maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. You wouldn't call yourself that. You're looking in the things of faith. Maybe you realize that you're thinking too like this. Or maybe actually you are a Christian. And you realize, actually, I fall into these patterns of thought. Let me say, anyone can fall into this, choosing religion over repentance that leads to a relationship. Even vicars, even Church of England leaders can fall into this. I was at college for three years recently. I ended it back in June. And as part of our time there, a man called Richard Chartres came to speak to us. And he was the Bishop of London. And he was a big cheese in the Church of England, okay? He was a Beanock, big name on campus. He was a big deal. And he had the clothing, and he's got this amazing voice. You know, he's got real authority, and everyone spoke well of him. And he'd been in ministry for years and years and years. And he was being interviewed as one of our lecturers. But he said something really interesting. He said that he got converted during his curacy So he got converted after he'd been ordained and after he'd been selected to lead churches. Now say what you like about the Church of England. What I think that just shows us again and what he said, basically, he said so humbly, he said, I love the church, I love the institution, I love the religion of it, but it actually took the love of the old women in my congregation to show me the love of God and to show me that I needed him. How easy is it for us to all fall into that trap again and again and again. I've got another story about a church leader that points us towards this. It's actually one of my favorite. Um, we can think about the example of the Reverend William Haslam. A picture of him is just going to come up. Great looking chap. Okay, so he was an ordained minister in the mid-1800s in Cornwall. And I feel sort of quite connected to this story because he ministered in the parish of Perranzabuloe, which is where my parents now live. And he'd been, by the time he got to the mid-1800s when he tells this story... He'd been ordained for many years, okay? So he was a church leader, he was, he had it. You know, he had the title, he had the dog collar, he was it, okay? But he tells the story of being converted during his own sermon. (laughs) During his preaching of the gospel, he began to believe the very words that he was saying. He writes this, at that moment. I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. And I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. Whether it was in my words or my manner or my look, I know not. But all of a sudden, a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up and putting up his arms shouted out in Cornish fashion, the parson is converted, the parson is converted, hallelujah. In another moment, his voice was lost in the shouts and praises of three or four hundred of the congregation. Instead of rebuking this extraordinary brawling, as I should have done in former time, I joined in the outbreak of praise and then gave out the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the people sang it over and over again. And I love this story because God would use the conversion of William Haslam during his own preaching to bring a revival to Cornwall. And you can read, Um, William Haslam's diary and he tells over the next days and weeks and months and years God brought thousands of people to him. God would bring in meetings he said he tells the story of hundreds of people falling on their knees before God falling on their faces for him coming under the power of the Holy Spirit asking God to forgive them giving their lives to him joyfully giving their lives to him wholeheartedly. And that's what repentance does Repentance brings revival, it brings renewal, it brings restoration, it brings hope. It brings us back to the Father heart of God. When we give up trying to please God on our own, and we simply turn to him again, the Holy Spirit is welcomed into our life. See, that's what William Hazlum experienced. That's what he experienced during his preaching. The Holy Spirit coming upon him. And when we say, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry that I've gone my own way. Again, I turn to follow you. That just creates a place for God to come in the power of his Holy Spirit. And although we get it wrong and we think that we need to, to perform for God to love us and we need to muster up his fruit in our lives, God's plan for you is that as we just continually turn to him again and again, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he brings the very transformation that he is intending to in us and through us by the Holy Spirit and the way to do this is and always will be repentance it will always be that the way in is the way on the way in is the way on the way we get right by God is by repentance we say sorry and in faith I turn to you and that's how we continually turn to the Lord that's how we live out a life with him by continually saying God I'm so sorry I just turn to you again And that is a place of joy. That's a place of real joy. When William Haslam is telling his story, he just tells us the joy that's in the churches where he'd go and speak. And he tells us the joy. in the He used to minister in these little houses. He'd have these gatherings of slightly more well-to-do people. And he said the joy that erupted as people uh, gladly repented was amazing. That's what God has for us. Repentance isn't necessarily a sad thing. It's not necessarily this woe is me thing. It's a place where we joyfully and freely say to God again, say to God again, I need you. And it does need to be daily. You know, sometimes we hear those stories, don't we, of people, when they give their life to God, it's this big moment of grace. And, you know, we hear of the conversion of the, you know, the person who was imprisoned and was very violent, and their life gets totally turned around. Or we hear of the drug addict being set free. I don't know about you, I do not have a story like that. But I I have what I think we all have, which is actually small moments of grace on the everyday life. We have a God whose mercies are new every morning and we need that because we need to come to God every day and say, I fall on your mercy once more. I repent, I confess, I give my life to you, God. give my life to you. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Bring the power of your Holy Spirit in me. Bring forth in me the very fruit that you intended to bring all along. I give up trying to produce it in my own effort and I ask for your Spirit to do it. And some of us today, maybe for the very first time, you need to repent. And you just need to say, God, I'm so sorry for following my own way. I turn to you. I trust in you. I ask you to save me. But maybe even for many of us, we need to say for the thousandth time, God, I turn to you again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for trying to self-justify. I rely wholly on your mercy again today. Cleanse me from my sin." Renew a right spirit within me. And God. when we do that, God promises amazing, something amazing. He promises to come in the power of his Holy Spirit. He promises to bring fruit in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of it to us. And thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And I pray that your kindness would be so evident to us right now And as we take communion together, God, help us take it rightly, remembering your sacrifice for us. God, we just throw ourselves to you again. We put our whole lives upon you and say we're sorry where we have tried to go our own way. We're sorry where we have followed our own sin. And we respond to the call of someone like John the Baptist and we respond to the call that you have on our lives. And we joyfully turn to you again. Amen.